you get to develop a sense when you've shot you've you tracked your shots enough you know how you're how you are out of a bunker it doesn't take much to go yeah yeah i don't really want to go in that bunker <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> i think i'm gonna i think i'm gonna go a little further up here right right it, it takes little to nothing it, right. it becomes just a sense it's a, it becomes a sense that I'm a, i prefer to go over here Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols, and on today's episode, we have Dr. Mike Grevelis. He's a speaker, consultant, performance coach to golfers, professor of motivation, performance, sports psychology, and neuroscience. He's also the author of The Motivation Game, a course on the psychology of golf improvement, which has been an Amazon bestseller in the golf and sports psychology genre. Some specific things that he's done that have stood out to me are his research on deliberate practice in college athletes, as well as his articles on motivation and how it drives golfers' decision-making. Those are really fascinating. I think he brings some great expertise and experience on topics that can directly help you play better golf through better understanding your mind and why you do some of the things that you do. These can be some some kind of drier uh, subjects, but he actually brings a lot of energy uh, and, and excitement to this uh, to these topics. So I think you'll get a lot out of this. So let's go and get into this conversation with Mike Grevelis. I hope you enjoy. We could start with uh, you maybe just briefly introducing yourself, maybe giving us uh, maybe your schooling background or research or, you know, how you've brought it into golf, how you've steered kind of your career or meshed the two together. Maybe you could give us a little bit of an intro. Well, sure. Um, Well, in terms of school, I went to the University of South Dakota. I'm in South Dakota. I live in Sioux Falls. I grew up here. I went to the University of South Dakota, got a doctorate in psychology. The uh, focus was on learning, cognition, and motivation. And um, I had already been playing sports. I played college sports. I played college baseball in particular. And um, But I loved golf. And so I, what I decided to do in my dissertation was to study golfers. And uh, my interest was expertise. So one of the... Uh, 1993, an article came out with Anders Ericsson on deliberate practice. And many people know about that today. My doctorate was in the in the late 1990s. And so um, what I decided to do was take a look at deliberate practice, but also expand it to other skill acquisition uh, mentalities and experiences among the, uh, at that point, it was the number one uh, women's team in the nation. Um they had just won the national championship the year before. And then I compared them with a D2 women's team. And I and I, I had them take a look back retrospectively at the number of hours of practice that was focused with the intent to improve throughout their careers. I looked at those I, I, and I, I interviewed them twice. The old way of uh, old tape recorder. <laughs> we didn't have the voice trans, translation back then. And anyway... Learned a lot. Um, there were some really clear differences between the uh, the female golfers on the number one team in the nation, the D two players, 
You know, one of the interesting things was the uh, deliberate practice differences were incredibly different. They, we went from about a thousand on average with the D2 players who were all uh, average about 19, 20 years old with the D1 about 7,000. And that's right. hours of that's about uh, hours of and the, the key point I was making was they were focused with the intent to improve. Mm. Those were the two criteria for the type of practice. It wasn't full on deliberate practice, but it was as, those are the two key characteristics that I was looking for. And so they were talking about we're talking 7000 versus 1000. There were no exceptions in terms of the range. There was a little range between you know, within each team, but. But, the, you know, it's a small sample size, and I knew that. The other thing that I learned was the uh, the difference in self-regulation and motivation. Miles apart, uh, as you can imagine. But the uh, the best players were, they understood what they were doing when they were practicing. They had the knowledge that they could use to detect their errors, to correct their errors. They had, they had more instruction, which allowed them to acquire that knowledge. Um, they always knew what they were doing. They had a purpose for what they're doing. And that's, of course, something we we know about today. Um, but that was uh, that was quite different among the uh, D2 players. Mm. They oftentimes just hit balls and didn't really know what they were doing it for. Mm. And then the other piece was the level of freedom and autonomy in choice of playing golf among the D1 players was really high. None of them had a conflict between in terms of why they were playing the game. Every one of the D2 players did. Interesting. Everyone was conflicted. They wondered, were they still just trying to please their parents and playing this game? Um, were they just, you know, were doing it just for some external rewards because because they were supposed to? They are mm. living up to the expectations of other people. That wasn't the case with the D1 players. So those are just a few things that came out of that dissertation work that I did back then. Mm. So I went on and um, uh, I, I, I had coursework in um, – neuroscience, I had coursework in sports psychology. I uh, became a professor, so I'm a professor now in psychology, have been for a lot of years. I've taught 25 different psychology courses at the university level, Josh. And it's like over time, you you end up, there's a need here, a need there. And so all the way from statistics to experimental psych to sports psychology, motivation, expert performance, even the psychology and Christianity. I, I work at a, a Christian school and so that's been a fun course uh, hmm. to teach as well but um right now i teach neuroscience motivation and emotion sports psychology and the psychology and christianity class that rotates every year okay yeah so golf has been a family affair too um all three children went on and played college golf at the level that fit their seriousness in the game and uh, my son now plays golf professionally um so. no kidding Okay. It's been, a, it's been a family affair. Lots of lots of travel. Lots of fun. Okay, so your your son, I obviously latch onto that. Is he uh, what level professional is he playing? So he's at? playing. This is his first year. He's been uh, professional for six months, living in Florida and playing the mini tours. He just got status on the uh, some status on the PGA Canada. Tour. Nice, awesome. So that'll be his first um on a, on a particular tour, right? Where he'll have at least opportunities to play. And he's been doing the mini tour events, et cetera, right now. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I know a lot of those guys. Um, a lot of them are my age at this point. Um, does he go to you for advice, psychology advice? Do you do you kind of have that relationship, or is it just father-son? Or what do you guys We're do? We're father-son, number one. Okay. We, and um, 
it's just it's a relationship of father son with a father who happens to be in this arena. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and so my my take has always been if he's wants to talk about something, I'm here for him. And uh not to be his mental coach, but to talk about things that a father who has some knowledge and uh sure expertise in this area can share. But I'm always the father. Mm. Even if I even if we have those conversations, which we do sometimes for sure and have over over time, it's always still father son. Got it. That's yeah. great. Okay, yeah. cool. So the the branch into golf was it was it simply obviously um, you've done some research around golf, but was it simply out of an interest or was there like a um, you know business opportunity for you? I, and I know you've done some things with golf, but is it just mostly been I'm I just like golf, so I'm interested. That's how I started. Yeah. So I started playing golf when I was twelve, and I played and. And uh, it was one of those, I played, whatever I was playing at the time was my favorite sport. A lot of people are that way. Mm. And golf was the same way. South Dakota wasn't a very long season. It was all recreational when I was younger. Never played competitively, really, except with my friends. Mm. And uh, so then, no, it's like like something when I, I I stopped playing baseball when I was 28. And I think a lot of athletes love the competition. And I just wanted to say, hey, let's, let's see if I can get better at golf. And so I had a great interest in it. I was appreciative of my advisors in the doctoral program to allow me to do research in golf. Uh, That's not always the case. Um, So that was great. And then, you know, just the fact that uh, our whole family, they started to enjoy the game. And I started to work with players back around 2000. Mm -hmm. So I started working with athletes from various sports. Um, and golf was just one of them. Got it. And it it was one I've never marketed, Josh. I've mm. never really marketed my services at all. Uh, I'd even go walk around and watch my children play in events, and I wouldn't even tell anybody that mm. I did uh, sports psych work. Yeah, <laughs> like, unless it came up, right? Probably yeah, yeah. unless it came up. And really, even then, I would say, "Hey, I'm a professor." Uh, right. uh, okay. It was it was one of those things where I'm again, I'm the dad out here. I'm not going to try to find my way. I've just, it's, I've been in a situation where I haven't had to, it's been a situation. I have a full-time position. I love as a professor and it's always been a nice add on. Mm. I, I, I really appreciate people who are doing this full-time. I know the difficulty that it can, can be and and how important marketing is and how they need to Mm. in order to find their, their niche and and, and so on. So it's not a judgment call that other people I totally get it, but I've worked with a lot of players over the years and uh, um, and a lot of different sports. But right now, it's uh, one gymnast and all golfers. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, Pretty cool. <laughs> all right. Well, so then we'll we'll transition into your thoughts on golf and how how psychology and neuroscience and strategy and motivation kind of relate to golf. So. I've got a big list of questions. Um, I I gave you some homework in the fact that I just sent them to you, and I I, I let you see them first. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just dive in uh, if you're ready to go. Absolutely. Well, you're the first person that's ever sent me questions on a podcast, so it's like, hey, this was a little bit of a um, yeah. a nice little prep that I yeah, could make, so. I, I teed it up for you, right? You did. I okay. It. So, generally speaking, I, I'd like. Um, and I've had other people on that kind of touch on these kind of um, 
concentric circles where they they overlap, but we've got kind of neuroscience, psychology, um, biology, all, all these different fields. Yeah. But how in your um, in your past and your learning, how can neuroscience and understanding the brain help the average golfer? I mean, it's like a lot of it's theory, but how could like the the person listening to this? How could understanding their own brain or neuroscience help them? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a very good question. Um, well, I will say this. Neuroscience is an ongoing developing field. Um, we have learned, you know, when we say we, mm-hmm. I, I'm not one who's doing the research in the brain. I'm the one who's the consumer as a mm-hmm. professor who's who's needed to understand and, and keep it. Keep up with it all. All right, mm-hmm. let's be clear on that. Mm-hmm. When I say we, it's someone who's teaching at the university level neuroscience. Okay. I, I know the uh, limitations of neuroscience. And I know the benefits. Mm. One of the beauties of neuroscience is this. It allows us to test our theories of psychology and the mind against what's going on in the hardware. Mm. And that's a key piece. So, see, neuroscience needs psychology. A lot of people don't understand the reciprocal nature of these two fields. Mm. Uh, see, if, if we do fMRIs or other types of things that we can get the brain scans of what's going on in any given situation, if we don't know what's going on with the person subjectively, we have no idea what's going on. Mm. <laughs> right? right. And so what the beauty of, of neuroscience is it helps us validate psychological theories, mm. but it also provides us new questions that help us figure out new ways of understanding the mind. Now, so really it's about the mind in the end. It's like, how does the mind function Mm -hmm. in any given situation in our lives in regard to decision-making, motivation, emotion, sleep, et cetera. So the average golfer, um, First of all, uh, the, the, the average golfer needs to understand how the mind works and their own mind works in particular mm-hmm. in order for them to be able to utilize their mind most constructively. And then neuroscience helps us inform how the mind works so that they can utilize their mind constructively. Sure. And there's a lot of detail behind that statement. Right, right. So the the average golfer might not need to know like the the actual details of all the science, but no, maybe on, on a broad strokes level, they need to know how what they experience is doing to their brain, which is doing to their responses to what they're experiencing. Absolutely. Because okay. then, see, I would say the first thing that that an average golfer or anyone would need to know about the brain is this. It's modifiable, changeable. And we are somewhat responsible for changing it mm. and or utilizing it in the, in the best way it can. Now, we also then, because that what that does is gives people hope that they can change. Mm. See, a lot of people don't know they can change their mental game, to be honest. And a lot of people have a hard time realizing they can change a swing and various other kinds of behaviors. Mm. That's number one. And the evidence is overwhelming, but it's pretty recent. Mm. Um, so that's number one. Number two it's helpful to understand what the brain actually seems to be doing, how it works in terms of the way it interacts with all the other structures and so on. And they don't need to know all the structures, like I just said. 
mm-hmm. as you just really actually made the point. Mm-hmm. They don't need to know all the names of the structures, but what if they understand what the brain is doing at any given moment while they're uh, planning a shot, while they're over a shot, in between shots, et cetera, they will get in more control of the brain and they'll know what to do to change things, right? And so, mm-hmm. see, we impact the brain, brain impacts us. It's a reciprocal relationship that keeps going like this. So, number one, I guess what I would say, and here's my view, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, you know, it's based on a lot of neuroscience work. Sure is that the brain overall's job is to get our values fulfilled. Hmm. Whatever value it is, the brain is going to recruit its resources to get that value taken care of in the moment. Mm. Now, the value that matters is the one that's activated in the brain. Mm. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean it has to be conscious. It just means the the neurons that represent that value in the brain have to fire off. Mm. So a lot of people say, well, you know, I've got a value system. I've got a list. I've written it down. But those aren't the values that are necessarily active at any given time. If they are, then they're living by the values. If they're not, they're not living by those values. But they are always living by another value, Josh, because we can't we can't actually do anything without an, a value being activated. That's what the brain is doing. It utilizes perception to try to figure out what's going on around us that's relevant to a particular goal that I have that's valuable at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so we 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 take in information from the inside of our body that gets sent to the brain. We take the information from the outside of our body that gets sent to our brain. Our different areas of our brain process that information, but it's always in relation to the value that's active at the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also related to the specific goal that you have at the time. And so you might say, I value health, but right at this moment, you value uh, pleasure and comfort. Mm-hmm. And we might not write pleasure and comfort on our top 10 list, but it's definitely on everybody's list mm-hmm. <laughs> if they were to be honest with themselves. So mm-hmm. at that moment, what happens is the comfort uh, value leads us to pay attention to certain aspects of the food in front of us to actually search out certain food based on the memory that comes forth another resource that we're utilizing in order to figure out how to go ahead and get this comfort value fulfilled now if you're if another value comes into play like oh gosh i i was just uh made a decision to eat better Hmm. and i want to eat healthier and that's the active value at the point you're going to think about other foods you're going to think about other means and behaviors in order to get that value fulfilled Mm -hmm. so they're always shifting the golfer on the golf course at the practice facility it's no different Mm. we need to know what the values are we need to know what their motives are their needs and their goals at any given time because that's what's driving the show in the moment right okay so then maybe um i know you listed like comfort and pleasure and health So to talk about golf, when you're on the golf course, are, would you, would, um, maybe playing conservatively or playing aggressively are, would those be considered values playing smartly, playing boring, playing exciting? (laughs) Is that kind of what you're, yeah, yeah. I was, I mean, yes, they would be related to the values. And I would say that those could be considered strategies that are in place to help other values get fulfilled most likely. So for instance, uh, some people value security. 
Mm. Safety. Yep. Caution. Yep. Well, that person who values those uh, on the golf course, mm. they're probably going to have different core strategy than somebody else. Mm. They're going to focus more on how can I prevent some bad score from happening? How can I make sure I don't screw up something here? Mm. And at the end of a round, they're they're very uh, much going to be trying to prevent a loss of a score that they're at at that point in time. You know, they don't want to lose off on par or whatever they're mm. at, depending mm. on their skill level. Somebody else values excitement. They value thrill. They uh, they value um, um, uh, challenge, achievement, and. So there's many different values that could be in play. But see, depending on what that is, that'll impact their decision-making on the golf course, what they think is the best way to play the game. Mm. And and the way it works a lot of times is that people will give advice to other people about how everybody should play the game. Well, here's the thing. People have different values, and we oftentimes have the tendency to think that our values are the best way and really the only way. Sure. And that's what I see out there a lot mm. is that people um, kind of give out advice that fits their own way of thinking what matters. When that's not actually, in my experience working with golfers, there are so many differences between people that you mm. got to find out what works for each person. Right. And I'm not really one to throw out, I, th- I like to throw out some principles, but not specific strategies because each one is different for each person. So, like, for instance, um, there's these, this mindset called promotion versus prevention mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this is just one of many different motivational mindsets that exist, but mm. this is one of them. And I think it's really important in this area of course strategy, shot strategy, etc. Yeah. So you have some people who tend to view success as maintaining the status quo, keeping things the way they're at. Yeah. All right. They tend to value more the security, caution, let's not take too many chances. Risk taking is is not you got to be careful with too many risks. You got to you got to you, you got to avoid bogeys, avoid double bogeys. Let's try to hone in and and uh not um not get impulsive. Emotions are oftentimes looked at as problems. Mm-hmm. People with this prevention mindset, they tend to love data. Now, I love data as well, by the way. Yeah. I love data. I think it's super important to shot to track your shots. Sure. But um, for maybe different reasons. Um, <laughs> I I believe that, uh, you know, the prevention mindset is a person who's going to really gravitate toward any kinds of advice that says you've got to avoid these things from happening. And let's let's punch out when you're in trouble. Let's play the safe route. Let's not get these big scores. You're just ruining your score that way. Mm. See, there's a whole mentality around that. Mm. The promotion-minded person defines success as gaining, getting better, going beyond the status quo, moving forward, uh, um, growth, mastery, so that if you stay the same, you're failing. Right. That's the promotion-minded person. Mm. You can imagine how they might be on a golf course. They, They tend to value fun. Versus a serious pursuit. They they tend to like intuition and gut instinct. They like to, uh, they're willing to take chances. They're willing to look at the possibility of what's in a shot versus 
what could bad could happen. Right. And so you see different styles. Mm. There's not one that's right or wrong. I know this. I know a lot. Of, I know the stats. I understand the stats. And and there's, I mean, there's. We've got lots of data points out there. I know that millions, yep. Yep. millions of data points. Mm. But here's the problem. You're going to have a bell curve with no matter. You can have billions. You're going to have a bell curve. Sure. Where are you? Where are you on that bell curve? Right. Yeah. 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 See, where, where are you on that bell curve? See, I think that looking at averages can be useful to a lot of people, but mm. it's a broad swath. Sure. That's that's the issue I have with. I don't have an issue with using averages. Right. I but I think that's suboptimal in the end. Yeah. What's right. Optimal is figuring out you. Yes. And that's why I love people to track their shots mm. and track their shots along with the conditions, both internal and external. Mm. There's no better way to get knowledgeable about your game mm. than that. Right. Okay. So if you were to, if a player was to come to you and say, and this could fall into values. So I want to shoot my lowest score possible. So yeah. um, I value result or I value score rather than fun maybe could be, um, or I think shooting low is fun. So they kind of, you know, there's no like you're only one and not the other, right? There's tons, there's a million shades of gray. But yes, that's right. if, if a player says, okay, I want to shoot my lowest score possible, that's my value. And, and that's, that's their one question they approach you with. Okay. Where, where would you go next? Okay. I would want to know. Um, I would want to, I want to know their game. Sure. I want to, uh, that, that's, that's important. I want to know the various aspects of their game. Now, like strokes I, gain, driving approach. I don't like, use that what you strokes gain. Uh, okay. I don't use it. I use, uh, I use a different statistical system. I, I, I love what Mark Brody did. It, it was amazing. Mm. Mark Brody's awesome. Uh, mm. Strokes gained in my mind has a wonderful purpose and it's fill it fills its purpose. Um, but there's a different way of going about figuring out different metrics. Mm. And here's, here's my general idea. I want metrics that predict score. Okay. Yep. That's, that's what most people care about is score. Ultimately. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, it's like monopoly in monopoly. You care about having more money than somebody else at the end. That's <laughs> yeah. the reference point. More yeah. money. Yeah. In golf, it's your score for mm. a lot of people, not everybody, but mm. you're talking about this person who wants to have the lowest score. Yes. So I want the metrics that are going to predict score and I want to know their metrics and I want them to understand what those metrics are. Um, and there it's, it's not strokes gained in my mind. It's okay. more related to comparing themselves with their past, with the, where they're at now and then their future in relation to these. And we could talk about some of those, but all right. So having said that, I mm. want to know that. I also want to know various motivational aspects of their functioning in, in the way that they go about playing the game. I want to know the details in the mind, the micro details of where their mind is at, at every phase of the shot. Okay. So that's where I go. So, you know, I just look, there's so many ways to break up the shots, right? There's no right way. Okay. The way I happen to do it is uh, here's you're picking your shot. Mm. All right. So in picking the shot, there's all sorts of shifting of goals that you have. See, goals are in the moment. 
And so that's, I always talk about not one playing one shot at a time. You play one goal at a time hmm. because each goal provides information to you and is relevant to a particular phase in the process. All right. So you, you, when you're checking the wind, your goal is to figure out how the wind is going to impact that ball. Right. Micro goal. It's a right. micro goal. It is. Yeah. And that's what matters. Cause that's the only one that's, you know, that's the active ones. The only one that really matters. Right. We go through this process and I want to know where their specific goals are at any given time. I want to know if they're relevant or irrelevant. That's how mm. I look at it. Relevant or irrelevant. So relevant to what? Well, if they care about score, relevant to hitting the best shot that they could possibly have to have the best chance to score lower over time. Right. Now you go through this process and then I want to know what they're doing at the priming of the shot. So you're picking the shot that takes some time, club, trajectory, spin, all that stuff mm -hmm. you have to figure out. Mm -hmm. Then you go prime the shot. You've got the idea of what you want the ball to do. You're, you're behind the ball usually. And all you're doing is strengthening that message. That's re really the goal at that point in time is to strengthen the message. And mm -hmm. then thirdly, you go in and you're going to perform the shot. There's a few little things you do. Uh, and everybody does a little different to perform the shot. Afterwards, you're going to you're going to respond to the shot. You can't help it. So let's have a constructive response to the shot, and then you're going to recreate your energy in between the shots. Mm. So recreation is very important because a lot of people say, "Well, you make these decisions on the spot for 18 holes, you're going to lose all your energy." Well, actually, the, the evidence on that is very poor. Uh, the reason people lose their energy, partly because of decision making, of using our brain, there's a slight reduction. But the the real reason is because of conflict. When people have motivational conflicts or goal conflicts, which can be indecision, yeah, it comes out as indecision. That's going to take your energy. Mm. So what I try to help people to do is to to develop a a um, a number of different mental processes mm -hmm. that they go through that are very goal directed so that they minimize conflict. And then mm -hmm. they still recreate because recreation is important to be able to continue to have a perspective that allows you to hit your next shot. Well, and, and it's different for everybody. Hmm. It is different for everybody. Some people are very social. Lee Trevino comes to mind, right? right? That's a class. He's the classic example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other people are very quiet. And so they need to do something else. And everyone's different. Mm -hmm. But it is still recreation. And then they get to the next shot and they go through the cycle again. So, yeah. So I would help. I would want to know where they're at, where they're relevant, where they're irrelevant. I want to know their shot strategies. Yeah. I want to know how that shot strategy relates to their actual game, to their actual dispersions, their right. actual skill. Because, you know, I agree with pretty much everybody else that you want to match up your prediction of the shot with your knowledge of your game. Mm. That's the way I word it. Yeah. You, you, you could, we're always predicting. Right. Trying. We're, we have to predict what's going to happen in order to make a decision. Mm. So we, we predict that based on our knowledge of the conditions and our game. So we, and our internal conditions. So we have to understand all that. That's mm. why I have people track all that. Right. See, they, so the more knowledge they develop, the better they can predict the shot, the more, the better chance they're going to hit that shot. Right. And then they have a better chance of knowing what their target's going to be, what the best target's going to be. And then and then uh, there's there's more time and more uh, factors that you play a role to see what else could get in their way and to make sure we get that out of their way. 
Okay, so as they go, they are... I guess it would start as, okay, where you are now, what are you going through mentally? Just kind of a, let's get a baseline on you. Yep, this is what you're absolutely. doing mentally. And then, and then maybe you would work through, okay, that one seems relevant and would affect your shot. This one seems irre- irrelevant. Yep. How, who, who decides what's relevant and irrelevant? And maybe what are some examples? Obviously, like it's into the wind 10 miles an hour. That's probably pretty relevant. But what's an irrelevant micro goal? Anything that does not help you um, with the the uh, well, looking if you're looking at it this way, mm-hmm. every every uh, goal is in a ladder, a motivational ladder, a goal ladder. So the bottom rung is a sequence of movements. That's your swing. That's your shot. That's the most bottom. Mm-hmm. That's the most concrete you can get. Mm-hmm. That's your swing. You, you may even have a swing feel where you have a swing feel during the swing where uh, that's going to help you get the sequence of the movements proper for you or the timing or whatever. All right, so we we have that. There's always a purpose for the goal. The purpose is next on the rung. And that's a little more general, a little more abstract. So um, so if I'm going, right now, I'm paying attention to the wind. That's what I need to do. That's a very concrete mental goal. Why are you doing that? That's the next rung. Well, I'm doing that so I can figure out what the ball is going to do. See, that's that's a little more general. Right. Why am I trying to figure out what the ball is going to do? Well, because I want to be able to figure out the right club to use um, to hit this shot and 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 target, et cetera. Mm. So there's always a next level. Right. So at some point in that rung, there's ladder mm. rungs that are irrelevant. Like for instance, you're trying to outdrive your your uh, your uh, your opponent, your friend, right. or whatever. Right. That's, okay, that's a different game you're playing now. You're not playing right. score. Right, playing. You you said you wanted to have a lower score, <laughs> right? It Actually, could. you're not. Right, you beat out your friend, whatever right. reason that is. I mean, I, we would. I would explore that a little bit. Right, you can eliminate that. You know, you right. don't need that. That's Maybe another own. one. Right, another one would be. I want to make a perfect technical golf swing, and that could for yeah. you be more relevant than for another player. Right, so there's shades of gray again. Right, absolutely. Well, yeah, right. exactly. If people like to play their swing, and it's, uh, oftentimes it doesn't work out real well. Generally, yeah, exactly. And yeah. so another, you know, another is a lot of social stuff. You know, you try not to be embarrassed. Right. Well, what does that have to do with being able to create a motor message for your body? Mm. Right. If anything, it's going to get in the way. Right. And then we can talk about why that happens. But right now, the the issue is there's all sorts of things that are motives or needs that come into play. Mm-hmm. that don't help create a motor message that's the most efficient and effective at the moment. And mm-hmm. that's what it gets down to. You know, if we can't bring our psychology into the into the uh, moment and figure out how that's impacting your shots, what good is it for golf? Mm-hmm. It's not any good. It, it might help you improve your life, which is awesome and great and important, but most people that come to me, they want to improve their golf. Right. They want to improve their score. And you know, often enjoyment's a part of that too. They don't want to be miserable either. Of course. So we got it. We we do talk. We do deal with that a lot. Sure. So that there's a lot of different uh, value systems that come into play that uh, they don't even know they have because most people don't know why they're doing what they're doing at any given time in that micro moment where it affects them. Right. Okay. So the person that says, "I want to," I want to lower my score. I want to get a better score. And then you say, okay, we got to get a baseline on you of what your micro goals are as you're going 
but you know, before the shot, during the shot, after the shot, and then going into the next one and so on. Is it, is it like a practical, like write it down? Is it a, just a vague awareness and we're just going to talk about it next time? Because I can, I can imagine the listener saying, wow, that's like crazy amount of detail. How, how could I possibly know everything? So is it a, let's just do this in a casual environment first, uh, rather than at the, at your U S open qualifier, uh, how take it practical. Okay. As a homework assignment golfer, this is what you're literally going to do with a piece of paper or whatever. How, what would you say? Different for every person. Okay. <laughs> no, this, you this don't say. <laughs> yeah, of course it's different for every person. Because there's some people who are going to want to get into the detail and some people who aren't. And I know we we talked through what we figured that out. Yep. You know, part of you know, a lot of times, you know, in the past, to be honest, sometimes I talk with somebody for one or two times only and they go, I got, got it. it. Yep. Right? Mm. And some people want to work together for a long time, mm-hmm. six months, a year, whatever. Everyone's different. And so mm-hmm. if I get the sense and they tell me that, you know, I'm looking for something for a couple of sessions, we get to it fast. Right. We do it. We do it. We get to the details. I, I like to get to the details because if it stays too vague, they can't do anything about it. Right. You know, if it, t- it stays too vague, then there's way too many options underlying it to get that value fulfilled or gold met. So what I do is um, we'll, we'll talk through it uh, at first. And I ask questions to get to the details. And I have never had a player not being able to tell me right. the answers to my questions. Yeah, right. They have more, once they're at, they just have never thought of the questions. Right. That's the big difference. Yep. Um, and it's like the questions you ask me, you, you, you don't come up with those questions from a lack of understanding and knowledge. You're curious, but you can't ask those questions without knowledge. Right. That's the way it works. And so I ask questions that come from my understanding and knowledge that they probably have not ever thought about before. And I hear that a lot. Mm. And so that provides a whole new awareness that they go, oh, wait a minute. Yes. I was playing this round the other day, dot, dot, dot. Mm. They can come up with it. Mm. And so, but here, if they, you know, I, I do want them keeping the log if they can. And not sure. everybody wants to do it. But if they do, are willing to do it, the, the question is this. Mm. What was I trying to accomplish right there? Right. And if and so what was I trying to accomplish in that moment? And then and they can do that at, and I give them the phases so they can put it to categories. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not hard. Right. And then then you ask them this. Um so okay, I was trying to do this. Why was I trying to do this? What was what purpose did I have for this? And then they you go to the next level. What was that going to do for me? Right. Oh, what was I trying to avoid there? Right. You know, if they start to realize, we talk about approach avoidance. Every golfer yeah. I work with, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a universal issue. Right. And so, I'm never going to go with I'm never going to go throughout a, two sessions without dealing with approach and avoidance. And so they'll know that, and so they'll start looking at approach and avoidance examples as well. Mm. Okay, so, so let's target it even closer. Let's launch off that one. So that what comes to mind there is. Um, you were talking about promo promotion and prevention kind of mindsets where you're um, you're actively trying to do something or you're trying actively trying not to do something. And that's kind of your value system. And there's maybe others. So to a, it sounds like, and maybe this is my own bias, but it sounds like 
trying to not do something is worse than trying to do something. And again, that gets into the, um, you're, you're trying to prescribe something on everybody and that's just Josh's bias based on his past. But if it's a, uh, it seems like the, most people would agree and there, and maybe there's some schools of philosophy that wouldn't, but it would be better to say, I'm going to hit it on the green rather than I'm going to not hit it into the bunker yeah. or so I, is that something you find as generically true or is that, um, well, there's no right or wrong. What do you think? I do have a very strong view on this. It depends on when this thought process is happening. Okay. So the promotion and prevention mindset is more of a, a bit of a cognitive way of understanding success and failure and how to frame their goals in general. Okay. It's pretty generalized. Um, and there's so much more to that promotion prevention, but we Got won't, it. Yeah, we won't yeah. talk about it right now. Yeah, right. But so let's say that we're, you, you hear the advice, you need to avoid bogeys. Right. Well, to a prevention-oriented person, that sounds perfect. Thank yeah, you. right. It's it's music to the ears for that person. Mm. To promotion-oriented, it's not music to the ears. It's like avoid bogeys. I want to go for birdies, mm. right? I want to go for birdies. Okay, now, if you're trying to avoid bogey, fine. If you're thinking about that in the car on the way to the to the to the uh, course, you're trying to say, I want to avoid more bogeys. Right. Mm. Yes, it's how, it is prevention oriented, but it doesn't mean it has to have emotion, emotion, anxiety or fear attached to it. Sure. A lot of times people are cognitively prevention oriented without having the fear. Hmm. All right. So that's important to understand, first mm-hmm. of all. Secondly, if you're even on the tee box or let's say it's approach an approach shot, you got an approach shot and you're early on in your process of checking out things. You're seeing there's some, some trouble areas around the green. And you might think, that's an area I don't want to go to. In that moment, you're being prevention-oriented. You could be sure. saying you're avoidance-oriented. But if you do so neutrally, right? if you do so with the understanding that the reason you're doing this is to gather information to help you figure out your best target, mm. then it takes on all new meaning. Mm. It's no longer a threat. It's information. Right. And it's and and that's a huge difference. Yeah. And so if you're just taking that information in early on in your process of assessing the conditions, and then you go through the rest of your process, now you've done that. See, you've looked at the penalty areas. You understand that OB is on the left. You you have all that understanding. Now that's you, it's it's purposeful to help you create the right club, the right target, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now, at that point in time, there's no reason to think in avoidance manner any longer. Right. You're already done with that. See, once we've attained a goal, the brain is pretty good at letting it go. Mm-hmm. The golfers and athletes and people who experience anxiety and struggles mm-hmm. with their mind, they can't let go of some of these things very well. And part of the reason why is because they still think that Thinking about certain things is is giving them a better chance to control the outcome. Right. Well, when you help them understand that that's not the case through lots of examples from their own games, mm-hmm. and I've never heard anyone go, oh, 
I think I'm right about this. I think I got to get more control. Nobody says that. Mm -hmm. They all go, you're right. Mm -hmm. It's getting in my way. Mm -hmm. And so basically, I don't have any problem with people having a little avoidance oriented cognitively when they're looking at things. But then I just help them understand that served its purpose now. So now when you get closer to the shot, it's all approach orientation. Mm. It's all um, reminding yourself of what that image is of the shot, whatever you know, feel and visual and sound, whatever comes to you, whatever you want to utilize, and um, and then being able to maintain it. And see, once you know what each goal is throughout the time, you'll know when you're distracted. It's like the quick. It's like the easiest way to know that you get distracted is by knowing what goals you have at any phase in the moment. Then you'll know it. It's easy to know. It's just mm-hmm. it comes to you like, oh, my mind's over here now. Right. And so you just come back. It's very. It's really pretty simple in the end. Yeah. So okay. So approach orientation is what you. Well, I agree. That's the way to go. Over the shot. Right before the shot. When you're avoidance oriented, too close to the shot. What happens is a couple of things. Number one is you start paying attention to things to try to that re- relate to that goal. And that's what the brain's doing for you. The mm-hmm. brain's trying to help you. Your goal is to avoid this bad outcome. Your brain's going to start paying attention to things that could get in the way of avoiding a bad outcome. Right. right. That's right. That's what right, happens. Right. And so we start paying attention to the stuff around the ball. All of a sudden, we feel uncomfortable because we're we're monitoring our body to see if we're our grip's wrong. It's not if it's right; it's wrong. Mm-hmm. If we're we're set up wrong, etc. And then also we we create a conflict in our brain, so that you know you have an idea about what you want to do, but you also have an idea what you don't want to do. And what happens is that's what creates the disrupted motor message. Mm-hmm. I know there are other theories. That's that conflict. That's that- the conflict. That second guessing maybe is how it manifests. Indecision creates a indecision motor message. Right. That's the problem. And that's my view. Okay. That's sure. my understanding of how the brain functions, how the mind works and how it applies in a very specific situation. In any time we have a motor skill. Now I know there are other theories about brain waves and so on like that, but I, you know, I've looked into all of that myself. Sure. I, yeah. I understand there's an underlying. See, okay. I'll, I'll leave that alone. What I'm going to just talk about here is the idea that um, the motor messages are very motivationally driven. Mm. They're goal driven. It's very clear that the that there's various areas of the brain that are all related to planning and goal and uh, related to goals and motives, and they're all related to each other. They're all talking to each other, and it gets down to what message gets sent. Mm-hmm. And it gets very concrete at the end, right? A very sequence of movements. But if you have two movements, like you have a putt that you're trying to you're trying to hold an eight foot putt, but you're also trying not to hit it too far. Those are two different messages of the brain that have to figure out. Well, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Right? What am I supposed to do? Well, what does it do? It tries to come up with um, an answer that finds a blend between the two. Mm-hmm. And that can create all sorts of problems, right? <laughs> so some of the some of the problems that it could create, let's get into that because when yeah. a lot of people experience that exact thing you're talking about, or yeah. I really want to hit it in the fairway, but yeah. I also really don't want to hit it out of bounds. Both. Oh, yeah. And so so if a player is is struggling with those, is struggling with that conflict, that indecision, what what could it tend to do to the shot on a f- 
physiological, this, like, this is what it will come out looking like. What, what have you experienced? Okay. Well, um, there's a few for everybody, probably, probably common, some real common ones. Yeah. Um, one is the, uh, the, uh, holding of the hands to get tighter and then you block it. Right. You don't, you don't release. That would be really common quick at the top. Right. Right there at the top two, I would say. Sure. Yeah. And those, I mean, how often does that happen? You, right. you, you know, you, you know, you, you work with players, you, you are, you, you're a good player. Right. You know, all the you, time. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time, mm. but why does that happen? That's the question. Mm. So what I try to do with clients is help them understand why that happens. And so then you can, you can, you can change that once you have that awareness, it is mm. very possible in the moment when you change things up. But anyway, those are a couple. Um, I think that sometimes it's just the, the whole coordination of it. It can be the force of it. So there's a whole area of the brain called this basal ganglia. And that's all. There's a ganglia plural. There's a number of different right. structures that are connected to areas of the prefrontal cortex that are a part of the motor. Less. They, they're very important. They're very important in motivation and force. Mm-hmm. So your force is going to be impacted because your basal ganglia is inhibiting certain muscles and exciting other ones. Mm-hmm. That that's where the basal ganglia is going to impact this whole process. Mm-hmm. But it happens because of motivational conflict. Hmm. where there's some inhibition and some excitation. Hmm. Well, basically it's a vote. It becomes a vote, but you're getting all these mixed messages coming to the motor cortex that has to figure out a creative way to get everybody's needs met. Think about that, a hmm. creative way of doing it. And so sometimes it's a jerky process. It's, it's it, it can be, it, it even could be a, a, without bringing up the whole yips issue, but really just, it can be a yippy kind of a move. It, hmm. Can be a, it could be a a, a a lack of smoothness in the stroke. The cerebellum's a part of this, which mm-hmm. helps with smoothness of a movement. Hmm. So you got force and smooth. You got coordination. You have sequencing. Right. It's it, it's all related to the messages happening between the neurons. Mm. But we are sending those messages to the brain ourselves through how we understand and view something through the goal that we have at any given moment. It's right. always listening to our goal. That's how a motor message gets created and sparked and eventually executed. Right. So the is the brain uh, biased towards avoidance in a kind of, a, you know, if you want to talk about evolutionarily or just biologically, it to it's is it more interested in avoiding the bad thing or is it more interested in getting the good thing? I What I've heard is that it would, you know, it's survival mechanism. It's number one goal is to, um, you said help you, but is to help you survive maybe on a, the deepest basis level. So that would be an avoidance. I would think, um, more that's that sure. kind of negativity bias. Maybe sure. is that risk so aversion, if, things like that, right? Risk aversion. So if there's, if there's equal, I want to hit in the fairway, but I also don't yeah. want to hit it in the woods. Does right. does one get a stronger vote? Um, well, it sure seems like uh, if whether it gets a stronger vote or not, because they're happening at the same time. Um, if you bring in the aversion aspect, it's going to play its role and not a good role. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so I will say that overall, I will have a comment on just generally. Um, it depends on the person because some people are very promotion and approach oriented 
There's another, there's a number of terms for this. Some are bass oriented, behavioral activation system. They they go after um, what they want. Mm. They're very fun seeking and thrill seeking, and they 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 uh, they don't necessarily uh, fall into the what we might say is the norm of avoidance because we have to protect ourselves. Right. And there are, there are certainly others who will approach danger, even though their survival is on the line. Mm. Right. We know that to be the case. So. T- um, survival may not even be the number one priority at any given time, depending on the situation. Mm. We know people are willing to sacrifice. Yeah, sure. They're, they're courageous. Right. And so there are people who are willing to sacrifice on a golf course. Um, right. A lousy score for fun. <laughs> right. Right. You know? And so they're going to be focused on possibility and what I can do here. Right. At times. Right. At times. So I think. To understand how this works is that motivation is shifting on a regular basis. Right. We're always prioritizing one thing over another. Some get conflicted at a mm-hmm. certain time. Mm-hmm. And um, when they're conflicted at the same time, we don't do well. Right. Uh, that's a lack of what we call wholeness or integrity or unity or whole, you know, that's not sure. good for the golf swing or for our game. Mm-hmm. So I'm always trying to help people become unified in what they're doing, why they're doing it and how they do it. Right. And that to me is the most powerful thing we can do in any situation, but definitely in the golf course. Mm. So do, is there a general bias? Some research absolutely shows that there's can be a, a real reason. The amygdala, for instance, is something almost everybody's heard of these days. It's not only a, it's a radar for threat. Mm. And we know that that is looking for threat. But you know what? We have uh, we're also looking for opportunity. Right. And if you decide you're going to look for opportunity, you might ignore the threat and not even notice the threat. Mm. So we can make some decisions to impact that whole process in the brain. So is it is it important to be aware of the entire landscape? Um, and again, the inherent thing with what you're talking about, which I think is really important in the wider golf advice industry, is man, is it different for everybody? It's just super different. Everyone has different motivations. Not everyone has a, uh, even a lowest score motivation and definitely not everyone has a, um, uh, prevention orientation. So is it, when, when someone is stepping up to, uh, a second shot into a green, is it, is it, essential to say i need to have an awareness of every possible scenario and whether it's you know in a neutral way right we'll even phrase it in a good way like this is just information is that uh does that tend to be more beneficial is is that something we should all strive to be doing well that's a really good question i you know certainly there's information overload that can happen right yep but I think when people develop a, a process by which they're they're doing one piece at another, I mean, not everybody likes to do that. So, okay, th- I think what your question gets to the difference between people who like to think in real analytical, rational ways and those who are very intuitive, mm-hmm. who like to kind of take in the information more non-consciously. Is that is there any relationship to your question there, or am I moving it beyond? Where no, I mean I, I think absolutely because if a because there's schools of thought and we're and I I can tell we're trying not to um, 
you know, pick, <laughs> pick names and We're call. And, and, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Right. So, no. but there's, there's schools of thought that says, um, this, you know, this bunker is worse for your, uh, average score. So you should steer away from it extra or this okay. hazard. Um, and, and it's, it's good information and it's good information for everybody. Everyone should take account of this. Yeah. And rather than choosing to ignore and pretending that it's not there, what do you, I don't know if that helps. I, your no, answer. I do. I do get, I think there's a sweet spot for everybody and that's sweet. And of course, you know, the sweet spot's different for everybody, right? Yep. <laughs> but, but it does, but it's important to know that there's a sweet spot. So there's, there's a level where we can get too detailed in bringing up too much memory and knowledge. Right. What I would, what my goal is when I would work with somebody is to get it to a point where it becomes more intuitive mm. that they're not, they're not thinking so analytically all the time. Right. They're taking in information. They know their game. Mm. And like, you can have, you get to develop a sense when you've shot, you, you've tracked your shots enough. You know how you're, how you are out of a bunker. It doesn't right. take much to go. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really want to go in that bunker. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go a little further up here. Right. Right. It, it takes little to nothing. It, it right. becomes just a sense. It's a, it becomes a sense that I'm a, I'd prefer to go over here. Yep. And to me, that's where I'd rather it be because in the end, I really believe that like a lot of, I think a lot of people would agree in the end, you want to be more perception based than mm. word based. Mm. You want to be more related to the sensory details and the images of mm. the experience in sport mm. and as, as kind of a cerebral as we are dealing with this on a podcast, right? Sure. In the end, it becomes a sensory experience mm. that um, yes, they're going to have thought in mm. terms of words, but there's going to be images. There's going to be a sense of what this is without uh, a real conscious thought process that feels deliberative and, Right. Effortful, you know. Right. You want it. You want it to become pretty effortless, but you do that through time and experience yeah. doing it. I right. really believe that's what that's what happens with any expert. They right. They develop an intuition. Intuition is often looked at uh, in, in a bad way, and, and I don't at all. I think about intuition is actually a non-conscious knowledge being utilized to make a decision. That that knowledge has found its way into a place that's very hopefully relevant at the moment based on the context that you're in and that you're utilizing it in a way that's actually very accurate. Mm. And so a lot of people, they, they downplay gut instinct and intuition because they see it as just a whim and a feel and an impulse. Not when you too when emotional. You it, yeah. They look at it as an emotion. And it's like, oh, I just want this. And so I just go after it. That's mm. not intuition in its real depth. It's based on, knowledge that you've acquired over time through earning it and now it's there and so you can just some people can just look at something and they they pick it all up almost simultaneously and they know what to do mm. if someone is is succeeding at that doing it that way and my host is tell them no don't do that you know, you're hitting it too close. <laughs> you know, you're playing too uh, well. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Let's let's no let's break it all down into yeah. all the parts. 
Right. I want people breaking it into its parts at first if they're not used to doing this. And obviously they're they're struggling. That's why they come to me. Right, right, right. And right. to you. They're struggling. And so let's break it down just like a swing goes in slow motion to help change the swing. That's a strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go and put this down into slow motion, bring it all out, help you understand how it all interacts eventually. So you understand the cause and effect of the mind and the body. Mm-hmm. And then you're your own coach, mental coach now, right? Right. Now you can detect exactly why it's happening and how to correct it. That's mm-hmm. always the goal in the end. But it can become very intuitive too. Right. And ultimately, I think you probably want it to be. You want it to be reactive. You want it to be, I am just, um, what was one of the terms you used? Um, integrated, right? Everything, yes. all the information just happens to me and I respond to it. And that's not creative or conservative or aggressive or fun or it's, it's, um, those are, can run parallel to this, right? They, I, I agree. Right. I agree. Cause you, you know, you don't want people playing the mental game, right? You want them putting their, you know, like I, the, the problem with focus on the process, you're not focusing on the process. You're doing the process in your mind. Right. 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 So you mm. want to make sure that they do that. And that's, that becomes, it does. And it can become very intuitive. It doesn't mean everyone is going to make it intuitive. Some people like to feel like, they have a better sense of control over it when they are very deliberate about the process. Mm. And if they if that's what works for them, then let's go that route and keep that deliberation. But you want to do it faster over time, right? Mm, it, yeah. You know, you want to do that faster, and they do get faster at it. Um, hmm. You know, really, it is interesting when we look at a, a number of these issues. I, I think if people were to sit down off Twitter and have a conversation – what you end up with is all the gray areas and the recognition that you probably have a sense of agreement much more than it looks like over a few few characters on Twitter. Right. Yeah, and <laughs> right? that's and I everyone falls into that because you are limited to to what you can say and you're trying right. to say it to thousands of people or hundreds or tens of thousands. So you're trying you're trying to hit that bell curve, right? That's right. You're, you're That's trying to right. grab that eighty exactly. percent of people. So, in, in fairness to that, but I, I think there are still even people that, if you had that conversation with them, they would say, "No, <laughs> no, you're right. This, you're this right. is how you're supposed to do it. This you're is right. Gosh. so it's true. Because, well, these are value systems. Right. It's like we we talk about data, and I got a lot of thoughts about it because I taught statistics, I taught the philosophy of science, and I've thought through all of these issues that relate to numbers and mm. how they're utilized and what it means in terms of the brain. And I'm a numbers guy. A lot of people who read my tweets in the past probably don't think I am, but mm. I'm a total numbers guy. I love it. I love numbers, but we have to interpret the data. Yeah. We have to interpret the data. We have to understand how it finds its way into a decision and whether that's going to be the best decision for you. Right. And that's the, uh, the, the piece. And, um, so like, um, we talked about strokes gained and it, and it definitely has, it's taken, you know, taken over mm. and it, it's helped a lot of people. There's no doubt. It's, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about is expectations and the, then, and that's a long people. And, and there's, there's argument about that. And, mm. and, you know, and, uh, you know, I have thoughts on that if you want to continue the conversation, otherwise. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, the, we can 
we can hold back on that too. Right. I mean, I'm going to talk about everything forever, but um, let's see. I Okay. So because we can't talk to everyone one-on-one and explore those gray areas and explore the, this is what you specifically need to do. So let's say there's 2000 people listening to this or whatever. What, what can they go do? You know, everyone is like, okay, I'm going to use this app. It's going to track my stats and it's going to inform my practice and it's going to inform my shot, you know, strategy in your mind, because stroke scan is great, but you're, you're looking in a different direction for the kind of data people should track on themselves. Right. What, what kind of thing, because not everyone's going to be able to come to us. What kind of thing could Joe listener go do or Jill listener go do today or tomorrow or this weekend? This is what I'm going to track today. And this is how I'm going to address what I track. What should I look for? How should I Go forward. Well, if you want to cut right to the chase and get to the thing that actually causes movement, because <laughs> all right, because you can go on either side of it. You can go on the more concrete stuff that's easier to get to, or you can go on the other side that's a little higher up on that ladder, right? That's yeah. more value and abstract. They're all important. Right. So I have people that eventually, you know, they like to have them track everything. But if you want to cut right to the chase and you thought, you know, what's the... um Quickest hanging for I could make a change. Right. That would be your goal. I would get right to the goal at any phase. So I would say, okay, remember, you're picking the shot. You got a process of assessment that you go Mm -hmm. through. At any given point, take a few rounds where all you do is keep reflecting back. You go through the process in your mind. Then you come right back and go, what was I really trying to accomplish there? And then you do that into the priming of the shot. And you do that into the address position of the shot and the swing and anything that changes in the swing Mm -hmm. during the swing, which we we definitely can do. We have time for that Mm -hmm. after the shot between shots. So look at, you know, you break it up into those and you want to know what, what, what are your, you know, generally they're going to get it from their thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to have thoughts going through their head, which is going to give them the clue to what their goal was, but they're going to have to ask that question repeatedly. Mm. What was I really trying to accomplish there? The second question they'd ask themselves is how did that relate to me being able to have the, the you know, the best possible shot at that moment? Right. That's all that really matters is anything is in the moment, the motivation in the moment, the goal in the moment, the swing in the moment, you know, I'm not a mindfulness person necessarily, but there's a lot in common with, with what I sure. Right. Care about the moment. Mm. It's like, and I, and I, and I don't think that uh, trying to change thoughts is really the way to go. Changing goals is the way to go. Mm. Um, And, and and changing goals directs your thoughts. It does. Your thoughts go towards that goal. They go toward the goal as they direct our attention because our brain just the base principle, our brain's trying to recruit all its resources to help you with the goal you have right now. And that to me, principle is, the most important principle in the mental game. Mm. That's my opinion. That's number one, because that's what causes all of this stuff to happen. Right. So that's why I say track your goals. Now, I realize that some people might need a little help with that, but that's what I would say. And you're going to, you, if you do that and ask yourself those questions, you are going to learn pretty quickly where you're going off. 
uh, where I'll just say you're off. You know, you're either on or you're off. Mm-hmm. You're on when it's a relevant goal. You're off. Now, if someone doesn't have much knowledge at all, and they may have a hard time figuring out what's relevant and re- irrelevant, right? I say, what is your overall goal for the round? Let's let's bring some values into play then. Mm-hmm. And if you need to look at it that way, now if score is number one. Then you got to think about it in reference to the shot and your score. Was this relevant to having the best score? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you might go, what are all the peripheries, all the other stuff that I do seem to care about that don't help my shot or help my score? Right. Those are all the questions. And I think if they just keep the log of those five phases mm-hmm. of, the sh- of each shot, Mm-hmm. And they put down, here's what I was thinking. What 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 was I trying to accomplish there? You're going to get there about as fast as you're going to get there with anything else, I think. So then, okay, list list the five phases All right, in, five phases. in succession. You're picking your shot. That's the whole assessment process. The wind, picking, the lie. The, all, yeah, right. exactly. Yep. And, yep. you know, what's happening inside of your body, if you have any awareness yep. of that? The, the, the key thing that a lot of players know is their adrenaline, right? Yep. Adrenaline would be an example. Yep. But all right. So you're looking at that. Um, and if they don't want to go internal, just look at the conditions, the lie and sure. the sure. lie in the distance and all that. Yeah. Look at that. You're trying to do that in order to pick your club and pick the shot. All right. So that's picking your shot. Got it. Number two, you're going to prime your shot. Priming your shot is when now you've already made your you've created your decision. Mm. Now you're going to go behind the ball. Usually people do that. And they're going to imagine the shot they just decided on. All right. And they're they're going to visualize it. They're going to imagine it. They could do feel. They could do sound. They could do visual, whatever works. So that's the second part. So there's something. Some people get hit there with all sorts of distractions, irrelevant goals. Other people, it's in the assessment phase. Right. It's both. Right. Others, it's at the address position. So the address position, now you're going to perform your shot. Mm -hmm. You're going to get in the address position and you're going to swing the club or make the stroke. So um, that's the third one. And there are a lot of times that's when a lot of people start getting avoidance oriented. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the the fourth would be your, your uh, response to the shot. It's not a P like the other three. That's you had, what you, you had P, 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 and now we R? have three P's. Now we have two R's. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Got it. The, the three P's of the peak performance process. How's that? That's uh, three good. P's. All okay. right. Three P's of the peak performance process. Well, then you have to do R's. So you okay. respond and you recreate. The response is a whole mentality to itself. Mm-hmm. But you want to figure out whether you're responding in a way that's constructive to your next shot. That's all that matters. That's why you ask that question. Is my response constructive to my next shot? Right. That's truly all that matters. Right. And and if it's anger and it's constructive to your next shot, okay to be angry. Yep. All right. But if it isn't, then (laughs) anger is not for you right now. Right. (laughs) Right. Recreation is your next piece. What are you going to do in between the shots to just get a break? Yep. You know, a little bit of break, nature, Mm. conversation. Mm whatever. Mm -hmm. Some people don't want to give up the planning. (laughs) So if you need to have a little light planning of the next shot, because you have an idea and and you don't feel tired at the end, mentally fatigued at the end of a round. Right. Right. But if you feel mentally fatigued at the end of a round, you got to change it. Your gears have been going too long, too much. much. Yeah. Right. Too much. Or, you know, you're having too many of these indecisions that are just 
causing a lot of fatigue. Mm. And so anyway, and then um, and then you you have that little break and then you start over when you get closer to the ball and you do the picking the shot mm. and you do it again, recycling that every time. So in one sense, there's a lot of repetition in this game, but it's a lot of variability and, and there's also creativity in the game as well. And so it's a nice to have a kind of a balance between the two. When you're doing things repeatable, people feel like they, they're they pretty in control of their game when they do this. They feel really in control of the game. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. when you've when you've been aware of everything that's going along and you've broken it down to relevant and irrelevant yeah. uh, at each phase, each phase and you're you're addressing you're keeping the relevant and and trying to pitch the irrelevant. Yeah, and that's where I would agree with the mindfulness folks that you let that go. You don't have to fight it. You never fight anything. You let it go. You come right back to what your goal is, which you've yep. already after time you will have identified. You'll yep. know exactly what it is. Yep. Okay. And eventually it it might feel robotic and some people might want to stay robotic in some way, but eventually this process which can seem intimidating for, to some and yeah. might seem exciting to some, but yeah. eventually it becomes intuitive. I'm just I I'm not I'm not focusing on the process. I am the process. Yeah. Like what I, I do is the process. I'm doing the process. You know, action, there's mental actions, physical actions. And so we're talking about mental actions and physical actions. Always, always yeah. those are happening. Right. The the old question is how much, how mental is the golf yeah. game? 100% mental, 100% physical. Right. It's both. We can't separate them. Because right. the mind is always involved in everything we do, and, and well, maybe not the maybe not the the body is too. Because you have to stand up, you got to do something with it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you know, and eventually you're going to swing the club. So I guess it's a hundred percent both. Mm. Um, because you can't you you're not ever without your mind working. Right. It doesn't mean it's conscious. Right. Most of the time, it's a lot of non-conscious stuff going on. Yeah. yeah. That's what I that's what I work with. Hope to bring all that stuff up to the up to uh, awareness. A conscious level, yeah. Yeah, a conscious level so they know what's happening. Right. So then now they know and they can catch it and they can change it very quickly. Right, and then kind of let it seep back down to subconscious over time. It's not yeah, something yeah. you're like, okay, I'm going to try not to think about it. It's just, okay, you've addressed it. Now it's good. Leave exactly. It. I've addressed it. Now I know what to do now. And he, people know, people can direct their minds as long as they know what to direct it to. Yeah. And I just don't run into people who just can't, they're chaotic <laughs> in their mind and they can't focus ever. That's, I just never do. I just, and right. I work with people with attention deficit disorder too, but when they're doing something of interest, they can direct their minds too. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and so um, anyway, that, yeah, that's, got that it. to me is, uh, I, I think people can do it and people, okay. I know people can do it. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Okay, so I want to ask one kind of question and then we'll wrap up because this has just been fascinating to me. I, I've loved this conversation, so I appreciate it. Sure so the the top players in the game, they they all have every type of coach at their disposal. They've, you know, they've got fitness coaches, psychologists, uh, swing coaches, strategists, statisticians. They've got all those. So they're all coached pretty much all the best players in the world are coached very similarly and they're all working hard. They're all deliberate practicing X, Y, Z. 
and there's nuances, so this isn't a totally fair question, but let's say two players are coached the exact same way and are doing the same things. Why does one play better than the other? Okay. That's great. That's, that's a great question there. Um, so we're assuming that all of their instructions are the same. Sure. All the, okay. Yep. Well, it has to go down to the mind, doesn't it? Right? Mm. It has to go to the mind. Now, some people would say, well, somebody started out with more talent than the other. Right. That's why. And so they already had the advantage. Right. I don't go there mm-hmm. because I don't like to limit somebody in terms of what they can accomplish based on something we can't measure. You know, yeah. we can't go back and go, oh, that must have what been. What you start team. with. Yeah. I, so we can't do that. So, okay. Right. It's got to be mental. So, okay. Who, here's one answer. Who believes in what they're doing the most so that they can commit to what they're doing from whatever the coach is um, providing to them? There are going to be differences in reality among that, um, right? So if you don't believe in what your coach is teaching you, or at least you have doubts, that is going to play its role in the practice practice, uh, facility and your processes of attempting to make those changes. It will absolutely reduce the quality of it for various reasons. But I would say that would be one. I, I think... You know, we hear that from tour pros sometimes when I believe I believe in my system, right? Right. And well, if the system's good, then believing in it is very smart. <laughs> if <laughs> sure. the system's not so good, then your belief might be turning, you know, moving you in a bad direction. Sure. So but so we're gonna assume that that coaching that both people got was really good coaching too. Sure. Yeah. So number one, they have to be able to do that. Number two, um is is their perspective conducive to great play. Mm. You got to have a motivational perspective that's conducive to great play and it better match you, you know, it better be right for you. Right. And so I would definitely go to motivational perspective because I think that's a huge piece that, you know, I want players to have thought through before around, you know, they know where they're at. They know what they want. They, mm. they know what's important and what isn't. So that's a really important piece. Well, then I, I can't help but go back to they know exactly what goals matter and which ones don't, and they can direct themselves to it. And they they understand perspective enough where they don't get thrown off by their emotions getting too low or too high mm. too, um, or the, the, the wrong perceptions that create emotions that don't fit the situation um, and or motives that don't relate to what they're they really um, have it when they play the best. So right. I would say those are some other aspects to it that would always be different among people, regardless of the coaching they get. Yeah. Cause two players could be experiencing the exact same round. They've both worked equally hard on their game. Exactly. But one decides to be more uh, affected by what other players are doing. Yeah. And that becomes an irrelevant goal to yeah. the outcome of their shot. Yeah. And and their thoughts will follow. To, yeah, it will follow oh, yeah. that goal, right? So there's those all yeah. they're they're become uh, irrelevant goals based on their uh, what that they're val- experiencing. That motive or that value, right? That social value that doesn't have anything to do with the shot. It becomes an issue, and it it can, if it's in the assessment process, it impacts their decision making. Right, impacts what they even notice. They right. might forget about the wind, right? That happens so often. They forget about something. Yeah. They didn't notice it. Or, you know, or, or or it impacts another phase. It can affect any phase. 
But I agree. If they if they have a motive that's not conducive to their best play, so we we talk about arousal mm-hmm. being conducive to our best play. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different there too. Sure. But um, even in golf, I mean, we have people who can play their best at a high arousal. Uh, right. Some need a two or three out of ten. You know, right. Right. But it's the same thing with motives and goals. It, Except, um, you know, there's some commonalities with goals. I mean, there's sure. some, you can't just be distracted by certain things and think you're going to play your best. And still, yeah, right. There's some commonalities there that I see over and over again. But right, no, I agree. Um, that's kind of yeah. how um, how that can how that can work. How yeah. it can affect them. Well, that's this is fascinating. I I love the um, I love the nuances of it and and how every player needs to kind of discover it for themselves what what their um relevant and irrelevant goals through all of their processes do that work on your own yeah. and come out the other side knowing this is what helps me and this is what hurts me and right. exactly. chip away chip away at it and, and fine-tune it exactly that's right it, it's a, it's a process it's just like uh the swing is complex but the mind is more <laughs> more complex yes. so it can take a little time but you can get some guidance from people mm. you know my knowledge base is different than someone else's yours is different than somebody else's but there's a lot of people out there helping people yep there's a lot of mental coaches helping their players they yep. don't necessarily necessarily see it the same way i do or have the same system and understand how the brain works the same way but you know what there's a lot of overlap in the end Oftentimes, you, know, you can get to motivation without even talking motivation. Right. A lot of people get to goals without ever talking goals. They mm. don't even maybe are thinking they're doing that. They might think, hey, let's just change your thought process. But by doing that, that can feed back and change a goal. Right. And in the end, that's how I think the mechanisms are. I, that's where I'm at, that we're at the, the mechanisms of the brain. But there's a lot of people out there who can help your listeners. Um, yeah, that's right. Find their way. Yep. No and no and the way. listener that's, following along to be equipped with this knowledge of everything you see out there, just cause it's from a expert, even us might not be for you, all the details and the specifics of it. Right. So when it gets to the details, that's where those, every player needs to work it out for him or herself in relation to hopefully someone who can um, help in the, in the process. So there's people to bounce ideas off and so on. Right. And ask new questions that right. are so important to right provoke provoke different awareness provoke your Absolutely. awareness of yourself yeah well the best players typically are the most aware about the the best most important things right, right. We okay well Mike thank you so much for this this has been a pleasure um, where uh, where could people find you where do you want to direct people where, what um, what do you want to promote? I know you said you don't really like to promote things unless it's brought up. So I'm bringing it up. What That's would you so promote? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, all right. Yeah. I you don't have it. to, you don't have no, to. I, I wrote a book in 2000, uh, published 2019. It's called the motivation game here. It would, it's the only book that probably deals with some of these topics that I've taught, you know, in the, in the perspective yeah. that I've taken. Okay. So, of course, it's my perspective in a sense, so you're not going to see a lot on it, but you'll find some overlap. It's not a it's not a book for everybody, though, Josh. It's just <laughs> it's like it's a book that if somebody wants to understand some of these whys to what's going on with the mind, and some some advice. But uh, I would say it, it would be a book that they might check out and see if it it might be a fit for them. 
But if you're just kind of looking for something for some quick tips and so on, and some quick tips you can put into play, and my book was not, it was definitely not the one. Got so it. there's a lot of other books out there that are really good that mm-hmm. I would say go find them. There are a lot of great ones. But that's called The Motivation Game, okay. uh, a course on the psychology of golf improvement. And um, so that book is on Amazon. They can find it if they want to. Um, My website is themotivationgame.com. And there you can find like a way to get a hold of me uh, through my email. Got it. Um, And I can attest to your blog. I've read read a few posts. They're great. They're very thought provoking and they provoke this awareness. They provoke the, okay, what, what's going on with me? They don't, they don't necessarily say you should be thinking like this, which right. is what most blogs do. They right. pro- they kind of hold up the mirror and say, "How are you? What do you do?" So, yeah, whoever's listening, um, Mike not might not sell his stuff very strongly, uh, but I will. I, it's it's been great stuff. So I've I've enjoyed what you what you put out. Um, so everyone go check it out. All the links will be in the show notes. So definitely go check out Mike's stuff. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I appreciate it. And yeah. they should check your stuff out too. Uh, I, uh, trust me, I say that plenty. They don't need to hear from you too. <laughs> very good. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. This has been a pleasure. All right. Very good. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike. I really loved his step-by-step process to systematically work through your micro goals throughout a round of golf, those ones that your mind goes through. Uh, I I thought that process of uh, through the five different areas of, uh, you know, before, during, and after the the golf shot, working through that systematic process, I think that was uh, really interesting and actually really practical. So I encourage you to to put that into play the next time you go out to the golf course. Uh, Maybe maybe ease yourself into it because it, it could be info overload. But if nothing else, you're bringing an awareness to the things that you're experiencing. And I think that's always a good first step. And if you're interested, Mike sent me an email uh, a day or two after our recording uh, to clarify one of the things that we spoke about on the subject of what can happen to your actual golf swing when you have an internal goal conflict. It's something we talked about, uh, or you're, or you're thinking in an avoidance way. I asked like, what, what kind of things could that actually do to your golf game and golf swing? He gave a couple examples, uh, during the episode, like quick from the top, things like that. But he wanted to list some more consequences of having that internal goal conflict. He said things like hip pivot restriction, torso rotation restriction, overly dominant arm swing through impact. So you're kind of, your body maybe slows down and and it um, goes to an all arm swing, maybe an overly dominant hand manipulation, like um, at impact, where you feel like you've got to make up for part of your swing or a hit mentality at the ball rather than a swing mentality. You're, you're trying to hit at the ball or maybe an overly controlled body rhythm. So maybe kind of hitchy or, um, not one fluid motion or swinging too hard or decelerating, accelerating, or peaking, uh, up at the target before impact. Those are some of the ways that having an internal conflict can affect your physical move. So I know we can all relate to these and we usually call them swing flaws and we try to work on them and uh, what went wrong there. But what we actually learn is they're actually not swing flaws. They start in the brain. 
So it shows the importance of knowing this kind of stuff and being aware of this kind of stuff. So I hope you take some info from this episode, take some notes, apply it to your actual game. So as I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard here isn't therapy. It's meant for information and education purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so that they can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. The, all, the, all those links will, will be below the episode. All right. Thanks again to everybody for listening to this podcast. Whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that we've built. If you've enjoyed this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, hit that like button, share it with someone, uh, with a friend who, who you feel like could work on this same thing. That's how we can spread this good, good information and good knowledge. So thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show or watching The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I'll catch you guys next time.